The world we live in is an amazing one, full of passion, wonderment, and of course, fine wine. This is the story of one man's journey to fully understand and appreciate that world. So kick the tires and light the fires. It's time to ride between the wines. It's Burgundian in style. Just a whisper of cherry. Very nice legs. This is so perfectly balanced. Such an old world style. Is this laced with tobacco? A total fruit bomb. I say, say, Ponzi! <laughs> Howdy, riders. Welcome back to Ride Between the Wines. On this episode, I had the distinct pleasure of speaking with Ian Rabowski from Jean-Luc Colombo. This is a full action-packed episode, so let's just jump right in. So buckle up and let's ride. Video. All right. So we're back in the car. So this is the... <laughs> So those of you who have listened to this, I was actually thinking earlier today, I was like, man, it's been a long time since I've had uh, me get halfway through a recording and it hasn't recorded right. That hasn't been since my early podcast, but um, but but here we are. We're, we're back in here. It is recording. I see a little light. Um, and I have such an exciting person with me today um, talking about an exciting person. So this is Ian Rabowski. Excuse me. Um, so he works with Jean-Luc Colombo, and I'm so thrilled to have you in the car with me today. Um, and you've got so many stories, so I'm going to try to pack as many as I can in these, these couple segments this afternoon. Um, but if you wouldn't mind, again, <laughs> telling me who Jean-Luc Colombo is and, and your connection with him and why we should all know him and drink his wines. Okay, well, first, <laughs> let me say, I don't mind doing it again. I do I'm, it all day long. Am, That's right. what I do for a living. <laughs> but but uh, Jean-Luc is close to my heart, so I don't mind expressing him. And thank you for this opportunity. I love this idea. I, I may try to steal it, I want you to know. Well, I think this is a great idea. Well, thank you. I'm excited about it. Good. Especially now in video form. I think you ought to copyright this. <laughs> well, you know what? I should probably talk to somebody about that. You should. <laughs> so Jean-Luc and I are old friends. Uh, we've known each other for almost, well, I guess 30 years. And uh, he wandered into my office. I was running a distributor in New York City. Okay. And um, I, we were, this is 1990, and we were the cutting edge of uh, distributorship in New York City, a garage wholesaler. Okay. And John Luke was attracted to that mentality that we had. And then after we met, we realized we were very close not just in physical looks, because we look alike, both but in, yeah, but in desires and in our, you know, what we like from the wine business, and, and it's been a very interesting relationship. Okay, um, that has grown in a number of different ways, which is also a very nice piece to happen in the wine business. Well, if you're still thirty years later, it must be a, still friends, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, I introduced him in 2000 to Palm Bay, and he moved into Palm Bay as a national, on the national side. I came aboard, became his portfolio manager, and uh, and then in 2014, after developing his brand with Palm Bay, I moved over and decided that I really wanted to focus and that John Luke would give me that opportunity mm -hmm. so that I could just work his brand and expose it to the United States. 
So for the entire United States, that's all you for? That's all I do is I run the United States market. I visit about 28, 30 markets a year. Um, wow. And I, I love it. I mean, I, I do love the wine business. I've been in the business, uh, I hate to tell you, 44 years. That's great. I started when I was two. And, um, <laughs> and if you believe that, I want to sell you a <laughs> lot of Jean-Luc Colombo. I'll tell you that. But, uh, you know, I've been in the business. I, I, I started in Manhattan. And um, and I, I'm a Francophile, so our profiles, John Lewis and mine, are similar and they match well. Um, but let me tell you more about John Lewis okay. because he's really the important point, and that is is that he is the cutting edge of the Rome Valley. He's been called the Wizard of the Rome. Um, Robert Parker called him a revolutionary enologist in 1985. I, I mean, every wine writer under the sun has been extremely positive with John Luc Colombo. He has over 300 scores of 90 plus on his wines. Um, Congratulations! Yeah, that's, it's, that's it, fantastic. It, it, it's really, quite I a statement. I don't know anybody yeah. that has as many scores as John Luc has, really. And it, it made my decision easier, you know, to come to work for him. Because sure. I see the potential that is underneath John Luke's umbrella. So um, he started by graduating from the University of Montpellier in 1982, okay. where he met his wife uh, to be, who is a pharmacist, as well as he is graduated as a pharmacist. Okay. And they moved to Cornas together. Where they decided to not open a pharmacy. Lo and behold, they decided to open an enology lab. And they did that because they saw that the Rhone Valley really needed support and direction. Um, he really is the modern element that, uh, that appeared and that is directing the Rhone Valley um, since you know the mid-1980s. But really very uh, outspoken, uh, very concerned about quality. He believes that the Rhone makes the best grapes in all of France, and they just need some direction in how to manage it. Now, why do I say that? If you go back in time to the mid-80s, it was very common that uh, winemakers were making things as their grandfather great-great-grandfather and you know all the history of the Rome uh -huh. and um, what they would do is they would make wine in these old foudres. A foudre is a barrel that is 500 liters or bigger Okay. and they would make wine year after year in the same barrel and what they would do at the end of the vintage is wash the barrel out and start again the next vintage. But inside the barrels would be tartaric crystals literally the size of my arm. And inside those tartaric crystals would be Britannomyces uh -huh. and all sorts of bacteria. So the next vintage would come along, the next vintage of great grapes. Just imagine 1982, 1983, 1984, 85. And the, the grapes are affected by Britannomyces, which is very common in the Rhone. 
and every vintage tastes the same. Dried out, leathery, mm -hmm. tarry, sandalwood. I mean, just really poor. Colombo said openly to the French press, people in the Rome don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to make wine. See, I want, I want to have seen the backlash over there. Oh, the, when the, the backlash still exists today. Does it? Is it? Uh, 2020, here we are, uh, and people still talk about this maverick <laughs> coming over, telling, telling me how to make my wine. Well, he was really trying to get people to look at better the process way, yeah. and make it better. And, you know, the people that listened have, you know, definitely benefited by what John Luke has done. And, and it's history today. You can go back and look at it in almost any book that talks about Colombo. He really has affected the direction of the Rhone Valley. You know, one of his big things is that he destems. Okay. And almost all of his wines are destemmed. And the basic concept behind that is he believes that the fruit qualities are so good, they're so rich, that he doesn't want any brown or green tannins mm -hmm. from the stems to get in the way with your perception of the fruit and the purity of the fruit, of the blueberries that come from Syrah, for example, mm -hmm. the violets that you get in every Syrah, you know, blend that he makes. And was that a... Uh a big innovation of his by comparison to all the neighbors when he started? Is that something that's Nobody very Jean-Luc Colombo? It was them? very common, especially in Cornas, it was very common. Leave your stems in, make these big wines. You know, one of the biggest producers uh, of Cornas, his name was Augustus Clapp. Unfortunately, this man died at the age of 93 just last year. Um, and he really was the, the father of Cornas. Uh, he and Colombo were called the kings of Cornas. August, because he left the stems in and he created this this bombshell of a wine. Mm -hmm. And John Luke, because he took the stems out and he created this wine that had this purity of fruit and that was always higher in acid and very balanced. But August Clapp was the type of man, he made a wine that you couldn't taste his wines for 10 to 12 years because they were so coarse, you couldn't drink them for 25 years, uh -huh. but at the end of 25, you'd get down on your hands and knees and say, Amazing, yeah. it's a blessing to have the wine. Well, Colombo came to the Cornas Vineyards and said, you know, first of all, people aren't waiting 25 years any longer, but also it, it clouds the nature of the fruit qualities that are coming out of Cornas. So he basically rediscovered Cornas by destemming and by controlled fermentation. And by that mean, I mean he does not allow fermentations to run away and and blow off your fruit qualities. If you're he, his fermentations never go above 82 degrees usually. Um, reason being that as the fermentation increases to 100 degrees, which it will if you let it run its course, right. it will blow off all your fruit qualities and it will, it'll create another dimension, which is not always the most pleasant. 
So Columbo was a fan, like a biologist like he is, of controlling the fermentations and making sure that the fruit qualities weren't lost. So very, very important factor. Uh, another factor is he stopped using foudres. He uses only barriques, small okay. barriques, mm -hmm. 225 liter barrels, French oak, um, and got away from the fermentation in these foudres, and he does stainless steel fermentation. Okay. In fact, they're experimenting right now with cement uh, vat fermentation, but getting away from the use of, of old oak that might be affected in some way that could affect the this, this style and taste of the wine. Um, you know, he is one of these characters that changed the direction of the Rhone Valley by winemaking methods. And his philosophy is that he wants the winemaker to have the best possible fruit and situation and then allow the winemaker to make decisions in how they will finish the wine to their own style, whether it's oak, whether it's lees contact, whether, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the process is. But he wants people to understand that the quality that comes out of the Rhone is really exceptional. And that's what's gone on with him getting 300 scores of 90 points. I mean, it's phenomenal how many people have just turned their head and said something about Colombo. Most of the time, in a good way, <laughs> but sometimes, wow, that Colombo, yeah, changing the way we're making wine. Well, he he's not really doing that. He's just telling people that they have the quality in their hands, and it's up to them to do what they want with it. Now, um, I'm sure that at some point you're going to get into this, but can you tell me a little bit about his wife and her role? Sure. So, um, Anne Colombo, his wife, uh, is, I mean, first of all, it's a, it's a wine-centric family, including the dogs. The dogs help. I mean, if you were to visit <laughs> Colombo, and I, I welcome your visit, um, I, you could send me an email, and um, I would set you up with anybody, anybody out there that wants to go and visit him, please, when you get over there, you know, before you get over there, send me a note, I'll set you up, and you can visit with them, because, you know, at, at his dinner table, he's feeding his dogs the exact same food that he's feeding you. <laughs> you know, I mean, his dogs live extremely well. Apparently. He has an open hearth uh, living room, an open hearth fireplace uh -huh. in his living room. That he cooks on, hmm. um, so it's a bit of a throwback. That sounds awesome. It is, it is, and it, and his wife is just marvelous. You know, I actually told him that if uh, he wanted to divorce his wife, I'd marry her. <laughs> Here you go. I, I mean, I, she's just so wonderful. She's a peaceful, spectacular woman. She is the first woman to be president of a Northern Rhone appellation. She is the president of Kornos since 2016. And that is really historic, mm -hmm. in particular for the French. Um, it's rare. In addition, she is the first human, male or female, to map Kornos legally. As president of the AOC, she went about, as I, you know, I've always said about her, she's connected to the land. 
um, and mapped the total appellation. And by the way, that's also available if you wanted it. Uh, I can send you one. It's a the two map? by yeah two by three foot map of all of Guarnos. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you one. Yeah, please. Um, but she is, you know, woman on record. She's tied to the vines. She runs all the picking crews. She's extremely knowledgeable and quiet. The opposite. I shouldn't say the opposite. Uh, Jean Luc is not quiet. But he's very knowledgeable, so I didn't mean to cut that. But, but she's the opposite of him in the way of personality, where Jean Luc is very forward and and you know always. You out probably there. need that together for a good relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, what's their daughter like? So their daughter is their only child. Okay. Lore Colombo, L A U R E, and she's one of the finest people that I've ever come across in the wine business. Uh, and I say this, you know, not in any uh, sexual way or anything. She she is one of these people that is so knowledgeable, that is so crafted by the wine business and understands it, um, speaks from the heart all the time. I, I've never experienced a moment where she has not answered any of my questions in detail. And she's just a pleasure to be around. And which facets of the winery does she control? She is the official winemaker for the estates okay. of oh, okay. Colombo. So she has three degrees, a business degree from Lille, which is a top business school in France. She has a viticulture degree from Bordeaux. And she has a master's in enology from the University of Montpellier, the same university that Jean-Luc got and John Luke and Anne got their uh, their yeah. pharmaceutical, um, you know, degree from. Um, but she also did. This is Laura Colombo. Did one year as an intern at uh, Chateau Oprion in Bordeaux, in Grave. Mm -hmm. She did one year as an intern with Moan Chandon's famous Dom Perignon. She. Um, you know, has tremendous experience in the in winemaking due to Jean Luc, and then um, she finally said to Jean Luc in 2012, "Dad, I'm ready to come back and work in the winery." And she's been in the winery since. That's great. She's very, very talented. The 2016 Cournas we're tasting today is hers. The 2015 Cournas that got Terbrule got 94 points. Top 100 wines of the year by the Wine Spectator uh -huh. is hers. I mean, well, it's a it's a very um, strong statement for uh, a young woman who um, really is one of the finest people I've met as a human being besides being a winemaker. So, very talented family. Um, we're going to pop out and we're going to come right back in and have so many more questions for you. Um, but stay tuned. All right. So we're back in the car and for once we will not be driving because I have about 10 minutes before the next account gets here. So I want to, uh, chat it up. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was Lezabes. Lezabay. Lezabay. Great. Let's talk about pronunciation. Um, but first... Les Abeilles is uh, fantastic wines and has a really cool cause behind it. 
So I wanted to let you talk about that a little bit. Sure. And I'll show some pictures of bottles because I can never do this, but we're not driving authorities at home. Well, first of all, Lesabay is a Coteron Blanc and Rouge. Um, and Lesabay is the you know, sub-name for Jean-Luc Colombo's Coteron, and it means the bees. Um, so if you look at a label, um, I don't know if you can see it clearly, but those are little bees that are on the label. You know, let me just have it yeah. and do it this way. Can you see it? Oop. This way. The red label might be better. Yeah, too. that's good. Wait. I don't know why, but... <laughs> okay. They are bees. And Lesabay um, is a name that Jean-Luc came up with uh, in 1990 to represent a table wine coming from the Rhone. But um, you have to understand that he is very, very conscientious about the environment. Jean-Luc has always been sustainable. He moved to organic status in 2016 on all of his Cornas and St. Pere vineyards. By 2021, he wants the whole winery to be organic, EcoCert organic. But um, coming back to Les Bay, he's always been very conscious about what's going on with um, our environment, and the bees in the world are disappearing. Um, if you haven't heard of the of the problem, it's called CCD, Colony Collapse Disorder. And uh, the bees in America, the first place where this was noted, uh, are disappearing at an astronomical rate. Um, maybe two years ago I was quoting one-third of the bees in America have disappeared. We think it's up to 50% of all... Now these are farmed bees mm -hmm. are disappearing. We know that in the Northeast, for example, where I'm from, 90% of all wild bees have disappeared. In America. In America. That's in the crazy. Northeast. Oh, okay. In Europe, it's even worse. 70% of all insects have disappeared. So this is not just an American problem. This is an international problem. And Jean-Luc um, got together with David Taub, um, the old owner of Palm Bay, mm -hmm. Originally, David has passed away. They passed away in 2012. But we we approached UC Davis to help support them in their research uh, entomology department uh, on bees. So 10% of the net proceeds of all our sales on Coteron Red and White go to UC Davis to fight colony collapse Davis. disorder of That's the bees. That's fantastic. And in fact, it was it's been very successful. Um, and it morphed into a program in the UK. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's just everybody is conscious that this has become a major issue. Yeah. I mean, if the bees die, we die. I mean, this yeah. Is... A, a good exercise would be to look up uh, Einstein and the bees. Okay. Uh, if you Google that, you will see that Einstein predicted that if the bees ever disappear give mankind four years to survive. And the truth of the matter is that 75% of what you eat is pollinated by bees. I'm sure. Yeah. So what you eat, eat stuff that's pollinated by, by bees. bees. Exactly. Right. It's right. a huge circle. So it's a huge problem that, you know, presently we uh, are not handling, but like we're not handling the environment. 
environmental issues, but um, I think eventually we will, as a country, come back to our senses to stop some of the problems that are going on. But the bees are really, we don't recognize it. It's one of the most threatening issues that could be on in front of us in the next couple of years. So uh, I, I recommend that you go out and sell a lot of Lesser Bay. And um, we have actually deckers that you could use to bring, uh, make it, pull attention to the bottle. And there is also a comment on the back label that talks about colony collapse disorder. Um, and that uh, we support. And if you it. want to know more about it, you can go to the website www.behelpfulprogram.com, which is B E E. I don't even know if this records backwards. This is how bad I am at technology. But there'll be something on the notes that you can read as well. So, yes, please go out and drink some of this stuff. It tastes good and it's a good cause. <laughs> so, um, and talking about the wines, Lesabe Blanc is a, a blend of Claret and Roussan, 80 20%. Uh, wonderful, wonderful white wine. I call it my oyster wine. It is laced with acidity so that it is really cleanses the palate as you finish. Um, the claret gives you the length on the palate, and the Roussan gives you a citrus finish, which gives you length and just white and yellow flowers that come out of it. So it's a very delicate wine, but great wine for food. And do note, all of Colombo's wines are bone dry. They're all one to two grams per liter of residual sugar because Colombo is a foodie. He believes wine is food and it's really meant to cleanse the palate so that you can take your next bite of food. Okay. And now the red is made of 60% Grenache, 30 Syrah, 10 Morvedra. It is also very, very unique. It's 100% stainless steel. There's no oak in it. But you wouldn't know that when you taste it. And that's because 20% of the vats are held back, left on the lees for nine months, where they pick up a lot of phenolic compounds, which is nothing more than organic compounds, that are expressive on your palate. And then that 20% is blended back into the vats. That's the secret. Shh, don't tell anybody. And you mentioned that all of his wines are extremely food-friendly, but for the Cotron Rouge, for example, what is... Is there a, a dish that you just die to have with it or something in particular it goes great with? Well, I have to tell you, I think it's one of the cleanest Cote Since it's totally destemmed, you don't get tannins, any green tannins. You don't get the confusion on the palate. It's all about the fruit, the, the balance that he has. And by the way, um, Colombo's thumbprint is balance. All of his wines mm -hmm. are extremely balanced. Um, but what I would put with it, uh, you know, I would put, you know, not not steak because then I would be doing cornas, mm -hmm. but I would put any of any of your rich dishes, you okay. know, beef bourguignon or you know, even though that's pretty extensive. Yeah. But hamburgers, I mean, it, it's just it's great. Yeah. It's it's a great quaffing wine, and you can drink a lot of it because the alcohol isn't outrageous. Yeah. It's 13, 13 and a half alcohol, and it's very inexpensive. And Which goes a lot for drinking. And it's it. affordable. Yeah. That's a very good point. Um, well, all right. Well, uh, we are going to check back with you later. Thanks. Thank you. All right. We're back on the road, actually on the road this time. All right. So um, we have a little gap here, maybe six or seven minutes before we get to the next account. Uh, instead of an actual question, I, I, I love to hear behind-the-scenes stories. You got any crazy stuff that's gone over the winery or a night that 
You well, and JLC uh, got wasted. <laughs> oh, well, that... Oh, Too yeah. many of those stories. There's a lot of stories of those, but I can't tell you about those. <laughs> Fair enough. But I will tell you about something that I think... You know, I've always said this about Columbo, and that is that he's always in the middle of what's going on, no matter what it is. He's always in the middle. And you got to ask yourself, what is he talking about? Well, I'll give you an idea. When uh, Jean-Luc was, um, made the decision to change, he was with Remy Emmerich, mm -hmm. and he was going to come aboard uh, Palm Bay, and that was in 2001. He was coming over. I talked to him and set this up and the whole nine yards. He was coming over. Uh, to sign the contract with David Taub, the owner of Palm Bay. Mm -hmm. Well, so he, um, this is of course a long time ago, and he knew, uh, he flew so much with Air France that he knew all the pilots, and the pilot invited him into the cockpit. And they are approaching New York, where Palm Bay is located. And the cock in the cockpit, he's sitting there with the pilot, the pilot turns to him and says, Jean-Luc, something's happening at JFK. I don't know what it is, but they're not going to allow me to land. Do you have any other places you'd like to go? <laughs> wow. And Colombo turns to him and says, well, I have friends in Philadelphia. Well, wouldn't you know it? It was 9.15 in the morning on, on September 11th, 9-11. And they had just shut down JFK due to the terrorist strike. And here is Colombo sitting in the cockpit with the pilot. Well, 30 minutes later, they landed in Philadelphia. 10 o'clock that morning, every airplane was um, forced out of the United States or grounded. Yeah. He's one of the last planes to arrive in the United States. And this is what I mean about Colombo always being in the center of of some issue of some energy force it's almost as if he attracts it and um, and that's what he does he he really works his winery he works you know the enology lab he's been friends with every president of France where <laughs> you know I'm about in, to ask you a different question yeah. Got you. President of France. Keep going. Well, in 2015, his Cornas Terre Brulee became, got 94 points in the Spectator and was given top 100 wines of the year by the Wine Spectator. And it's the first time that it's occurred. Um, and he was very happy about it. So he went to the Elysee Palace, met with President Macron, and they took a picture of him giving him a bottle of of the Tabrulet 2015 and he sent me this picture and I you know to this day I'm kind of stunned this is Colombo he's always there he's always involved in you know some issue some point so um, wait, when's he coming to get involved in Columbia South Carolina uh, uh, well I don't Columbo, know I know you're watching this <laughs> probably not <laughs> maybe someday maybe. you never know that's, you have to invite him and do a wine, big wine dinner here. Oh, he yeah. has come to Charleston. He likes Charleston. Wow. He hasn't even met the far superior city in South Carolina, Columbia. That's correct. He doesn't understand. Colombo, Columbia. Come on. There's, there's something there. There's a connection. <laughs>
Um, so real quick, because we have like two minutes before we get over here. Um, you're talking about the terre brulee. Um, so you were just talking about Kornos, which is kind of the major theme of everything that we're talking about today. Um, what does the name Kornos mean? And then terre brulee or brulee? Okay, so terre brulee is the generic name that was given to the hillside of Kornos by the Celts, the original people that lived in the Northern Rhone. Well, there are people even before them, but the Celts are kind of famous. Um, the Celts, C-E-L-T-S, okay. were uh, people that came from the north, usually from um, more UK-based um, And Terbili was their word, or Kornos? No, what, what happened was okay. they named the hillside um, Kornos, Kornos. Okay. which means burnt earth Got in it. Celt. That's the correct interpretation. Perfect. So and Kornos is this very, very old name. Now, in France, you wouldn't pronounce the S normally, but in Kornos, you do. It's in the south. And I believe it's because of the name that was given to the, to the hillside. It's very interesting. And, and why, why burnt earth? Well, my interpretation is that during the middle to the end of summer, um, the hillside looks burnt out. Uh, there's a 30-degree diurnal change between the evening and the middle of the afternoon. And, um, of course, that diurnal change allows the vineyard to come back to life. Right. Every day. So it's yeah. not burnt off and destroyed. And um, it, it is one of the main points why Syrah does so well. It needs the heat, but it definitely needs the cool nights. That's the way you will capture the aromatics, the violets, the blueberries, the black fruits. That's awesome. Thank you. Anyway. Uh, perfect timing. So, signing off. Maybe we'll get one more in. All right. We're back. Let's talk rosé. We had two rosés in the bag today. Um, yeah, tell me about Jean-Luc Colombo and rosé and these delicious things we've been drinking. Jean-Luc Colombo rosé. It's, it's a fabulous story. Um, so it has to start in 2003. Uh, Jean-Luc and I got together. I was the portfolio manager for Palm Bay, the national importer, and I proposed to Jean-Luc that we create a rosé. Now, Jean-Luc is very unique. He comes from the town of Marseille, which is the capital in my world of rosé. It's southern France, right on the border, uh, on the Mediterranean. And he's always loved the area, the environment, the wines that come from there. Jean-Luc actually has purchased 100 acres of of really forgotten land and planted rosé and white wine in the region. And so he created this Cape Blue Rosé. 2003 was the first vintage. Um, it didn't take off really until 2009 as the rosé craze was occurring in America. And now it has become his, one of his largest items. And it is that way because he makes it in a very, very unique manner. Now you gotta say, yeah, what's wine, rosé, what is, what makes it so unique? Well, I'll tell you, being a pharmacist first 
and being a biologist, meaning the, the pharmacy side of it, he really came up with a system to make this rosé that is extremely special. He cold soaks the wine, the grapes, for 10 hours and gets this very light pink color. Um, and the cold soak is done at 50 degrees, which is below fermentation. And that just stays for 10 hours. Then he takes it, bleeds the vats. They, they call this process sanye, which is the term for bleed. Blood. Yeah, the blood. And he bleeds the vats from the bottom and takes them and ferments it for three weeks at no higher than 65 degrees. Now, it's an interesting concept because when you start fermentation, yeast cells build up momentum and they increase the heat of the vats and that speeds up the process of fermentation. So much so that a normal fermentation really can take just seven days and will heat up to 100 degrees and it'll blow through the fermentation. But when you do that, you blow out the primary aromatics. So Colombo decided to keep the, the temperature down to 65 degrees. And what occurs is your primary aromatics remain intact in the wine. Now, what are the primary aromatics? It is strawberry, rose, banana, watermelon. It are these aromatics that stay in the wine and that help make the wine appear aromatic and fruity, but it is bone dry. One to two grams per liter of residual sugar below the human palate to taste sugar. And then it finishes with this wonderful long finish. Now it's made with Syrah and Morvedra, which are two big red varietals. And it's a very important point. Nobody makes rosé these two varietals alone. And that's because these are expensive varietals. So a lot of people use lesser varietals in their rosé and there's 25 varietals in the south of France that you can use. Colombo again picks these two very special ones. For me the wine is a quaffing rosé. Just let me down that bottle and then take the second one and then if you want and you're still standing, do the third. Do the third. Because it is a fun wine to drink. It's seamless in the way that it goes down your uh, through your palate or past your palate. So Cape Blue Rosé, a big winner. And by the way, at a great price. And it's at a great price because it's an IGT or IGP, which is the appellation it's not the AOC, which demands a certain amount of money for the AOC. It is a larger region of France, this IGT, that gives it a, um, a very affordable price. So enjoy it because it's well made at a great price. Now that is our introductory rosé. We have a reserve rosé that Jean-Luc decided to make. It's called La Dame de Rouet. And it is a AOC, it's a Coteau de X in Provence. And that is a small appellation uh, just north of the town of Marseille. Um, and it's right south of a mountain range, so which interrupts with the production level, um, so that it is a small appellation. But he makes it out of Syrah, 
Sanso, and Grenache, 40, 40, 20. And it is most unusual because it's the only wine in the line that does not have, is not destemmed. Mm. Um, and for that reason, uh, for that, he does that because he does not want any oxidation. Once you pull the stems in a vat, in a vat of, of grapes, you end up forcing oxygen into the grapes, which will oxidize and change the flavor profile of the primary aromatics. So by not destemming and by going through no malolactic fermentation, you keep the original acidity level and fruit characteristics of that wine. So it's very, very unique because then he takes it, puts it three to five months on its lees where it develops phenolic activity, compounds, organic compounds that enrich in the uh, center of the palate. So that makes it really a very complete, long, very floral. And I challenge you to count the time that it stays on your palate. It's a spectacular glass of wine. I will put it against any rosé in the marketplace, bar none, and qualitatively it's phenomenal. But do keep in mind it's more money and it's a reserve style, six bottle case, um, and it is much more limited than the Cape Blue. But my hats are off to Jean-Luc and his wife because they really came up with the philosophy behind these wines and they stand out and once you taste them side by side you will see they are absolutely stunning examples of Provençal rosés um, and they're both affordable pricing. So enjoy, sell them well, drink more <laughs> and I promise you you'll enjoy uh, that night and you'll remember every second of it because the alcohols aren't out of sight, they're in balance. Thank you. You couldn't have timed that more perfectly. Here we are. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so this is no, no. You can't look it up yet. I, I gotta so look this it up. was this was my question: was uh, what does Jean Luc Colombo think of Jean Luc Picard? And you have no idea who Jean Luc Picard is. I don't know that I know his name. No, <laughs> sorry. This is this. So I don't even. You're gonna well, next time you talk to Jean Luc. I don't know who the most famous Jean Luc is. It's either Jean Luc Picard or Jean Luc Colombo, but I feel like it's probably Jean Luc Picard. Do you know who Patrick Stewart is? Yes. Who is I, that? But, well, I know the name Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is a very famous uh, bald actor who is known for several roles, but oh, his main one is yes. Jean Luc Picard of the Starship Enterprise for oh. Star Trek. Oh, 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 oh. Now I understand. Come on. Well, no, it's because I'm a Kirk fan from a way back oh. when. Oh, there Watching it is. every Star Trek, every movie, <laughs> but not the modern shit. That modern shit sucks. You're killing me. Listen, <laughs> all day long. Hey, there's a new Star Trek ad. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's a it's called Picard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Every, okay, well now we're starting. Every part of that just made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I was looking for. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> well, it's not the most famous Jean-Luc, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you, you, you tell Jean-Luc uh, Colombo that. All day long is what I'm thinking of. I don't of think he knows who he is. Ah, <laughs> everybody. No, oh. come on, that's very American. Come on. <laughs>
Yeah. Well, okay, so this is... Well, they, they talk a bit different. Uh. <laughs> uh, well, okay, wait, so that's, that's, that's a perfect segue. So, uh, yes. so one of the questions that I always ask everybody is um, what their unpopular opinion, something that they hold true, but the masses do not. And one of my unpopular opinions is that I would much rather watch Picard than James T. Kirk any day of the week. So there's my unpopular opinion. Oh, that's a very bad opinion. Uh, no, I, I don't know. It, it might even be now. kind of popular. <laughs> well, do you have an unpopular opinion? No, I don't know that I do. Um, I, Other I, than the Kirk thing, which in my opinion is unpopular, but uh, well, you, I, I know everybody. Like everybody likes Kirk. His. If, if William Shatner's watching this, I'm kidding. You're amazing. You're, I mean, you know Patrick Stewart, but you're amazing. I, I love William Shatner. He's just great. He is. Yeah. No, I don't think I have an, an unpopular... I probably do. You'd have to dig it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny is like you're gonna be on, you're gonna be driving around in Charleston tomorrow. And you're gonna text me and go, actually, I hate this. Ah, I remember now. Yeah. Um, so... That's okay. That's okay. You don't hurt my feelings. Okay. All right. Well, we're we're almost at the end of the day. Any other Jean Luc Colombo stories that I haven't heard, or anything that we haven't just mentioned about all these amazing wines? Or well, there are tons of stories, and uh, they're stuck somewhere in the recesses <laughs> of my brain that will come out upon. A moment's uh, yeah. pull. I'll say, do I have to have the, the I have to have the, the right ma- question the, to ask? The, the magic pull. Um, all I can say about Colombo is that he's a fascinating character, and he has both sides in him. You know, um, you know he's not always pleasurable because he's an entrepreneur, like most entrepreneurs, um, that kind of look for uh, building their business and all that, but. I just find him to be a fascinating winemaker that has tremendous skills, and I invite all of you to come to France <laughs> at the same time <laughs> and visit with John Luke. I'll make we'll sure he's there. That'll be great. Oh, if you want to have a party, nobody knows how to throw a party better than Colombo. Nobody, and I'm serious when I say that. He will what, blow what is, your mind. Yeah with what he does whether he cooks for you and cooks steaks that are four inches thick you know um, or whether he hires a band to come and play while you're there Uh, last time I was there we were talking about a brass band playing walking around his winery and we all were following Um, he just knows fun and hospitable that's how he sounds and by the way you have to ask him can I have a ride in your boat it's got a 35-foot Boston Whaler mm. that is really something else. And he will take you for a spin if you say, can we go fishing? The, the winery is in Cornas, right? It's in Cornas, but it's the where his boat is, uh-huh. is the Cote Bleu, where the rosé comes from. Well, I was going to ask, is that where he, where does he live generally? Sure in, in Cornas. In Cornas, okay. That's yeah. awesome. He's building a second domain in the Cote Bleu, but... There's nothing there but a couple of vines. Yeah. You know. Uh-huh. Well, but he's digging a hole actually in the ground right now to bury himself. 
<laughs> because when the American tariffs come off, it'll, it'll blow this thing apart. I don't know. You know, that's the best part about this podcast, because uh, in three weeks from now, whenever I actually air it, we will all have heard that the ridiculous idea of 100% tariffs was turned down, nothing happened, and we're all going to be very happy and safe. That's that's what I'm predicting in three weeks from now, and we won't be destroying the entire uh wine industry and every part of it so and that's I, exciting i definitely hope that you are a hundred percent correct God, me too because we just don't need to be fighting the battle of airbus or uh amazon's Tech, taxation mm-hmm. over the wine business yeah i mean they're just not equal well i mean i don't even know that i i can, I don't think anybody can paint an actual uh, accurate picture of what would actually happen, but I mean, you don't really think about how many different um, jobs are created, how many right. different uh, effects would be felt, you know, um, for the international market, you know, the European market, and for um, well, domestic it, wines. It would affect everything. He'll put a lot of people out of business in Europe, yeah. or redirect their business away from America, and they won't come back. Because when they lose the marketplace here, it, it would take them literally decades upon decades to reclaim that ground. And they would rather do it in China or in other markets around the world, which are opening up because the world is becoming more sophisticated. China's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I think, but, I, and I, I, it does a lot for France. This isn't how we needed to get here, but we're talking about it. You know, it does a lot for them, but also, you know, in America, it's not, it's not like um, domestic wines are certainly just going to move on to every wine list and everybody's going to be happy. You know, you're going to have uh, a, a lot of independents and small distributorships, which which is all, the, you know, the drivers, the reps, everybody. Um, and then, you know, mom and pop places are definitely, I can't imagine how they'd be able to survive through that. Um, no, it'll be a devastating uh, attack of... Um, on the American economy, and yeah. in the end, it, it's going to be put on the co- the cost of it will be put on the American consumer, and it, to me, there's no reason why that would be the case. But again, none of this matters because by the time you're watching this, nothing will have happened. That's that's that's. I my think prediction. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. <laughs> Right back at you. All right. Well, let's let's <laughs> let's close on this. Um, so, uh, in the show notes, uh, everything that we'll talk about, proper spellings. Um, we're gonna put Ian's personal email address for anybody who wants to go to Cornos. He will ensure that Jean Luc Colombo will be there, and he will take you for a ride on his boat. Um, but otherwise, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I really oh, appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Uh, I love your idea. Uh, do me a favor. Copyright it. Copyright it quick. <laughs> I. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, if anybody's wondering, this is copywritten already. Oh! oh, oh. At least that's what we're saying. Uh, um, but all right, well, signing off. And thank you all. Enjoy Jean-Luc Colombo. Enjoy. Ciao. Well, that's our show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks, Ian Rabowski. Uh, what an amazing guest you were and how much fun that was. And tune in next week when I have Kim Marge from Constellation Wines as we do a podcast all about the amazing women winemakers who work over there. Uh, so until then... Chin-chin. Chin-chin.